Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you. More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital That's www.archivos.digital Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Today we hear from Roland, who has feedback about rewriting. Roland says, I enjoyed the discussion on rewriting, but I think many newer authors misunderstand what it is, and many veteran authors don't explain it well enough. I was at a conference where a famous veteran author, probably 100 plus books, said he never rewrites, leaving plenty of newbies in the audience convinced that they shouldn't either. Write the book, have it edited, and it's done. The author says he never rewrites and never has. He just writes, fixes typos and grammar, and then submits. I find it hard to believe it's always been this way, unless he's a savant. He also says he's he also says he's never read or looked back through his books once he submitted them to his publisher, but I'd be surprised if they didn't do that for him in the early days. I see rewriting as a spectrum, as you said on the show. But if you have more to add based on this email, I'd love to hear it. I used to live across the street from this writer, <laughs> and I know him very well, and uh, he's not bullshitting. This is the way he actually does it, and it's the way that a lot of writers of the pulp era did it. In his case, it's the only way he has a career, because he, uh, especially towards the beginning of his career, he got so locked up with writer's block that when he would start revising, he just go and revise to death. I think he told me once that his first book, or his first attempt at a book, he uh, revised and revised and revised and revised and revised, and it never got published. The first few poems he sold, he uh, dashed off one and done, and then he started trying to deliberately put craft into them, and he never sold another one after that. Um, and the thing that gave him a career was discovering that all the pulp writers that he loved and idolized never rewrote either. So, um, yeah, he's not kidding. And there is, though he is uh, gifted at describing things in exactly the most possible off-putting fashion, there's uh, quite a lot of wisdom in what he's saying. The, the basic issue is that if you're not good enough to write something really well the first time, you're probably not good enough to rewrite it into something really well either. When you say it like that, it sounds obvious, but it doesn't occur to any of us early on. What you find out later um, is that uh, rewriting is actually a different skill set than writing is. Uh, takes a whole different approach, um, especially if you want to do it well and not kill the golden goose. So, um, like I said, and like you pointed out that I said, rewriting is a spectrum, and there's a bunch of different ways to approach it. But approaching your fiction with the attitude that I'll fix it in post, 
Well, okay, so there's another another person who gives writing advice out there. And her basic piece of advice is, you are allowed to suck, and don't let the fact that it might suck stop you from writing because you can fix it in post. Whereas this writer that you're talking about will say, of course you're not allowed to suck. If you're going to write something that sucks, don't write it in the first place, because you're wasting your time. In a weird way, these are two disparate personality types touching on the same basic issue. If you're going to do it, you have to let yourself go and do it. One of these personality types is such a perfectionist that she has to give herself permission to be awful before she's willing to even try. And the other of these personality types is such a perfectionist that he's not even willing to try unless he's going to be working at the top of his game. Both of them are correct. They're both hitting on the same thing, but they're using such contradictory language that it makes you think that they're utterly opposed to one another. Now, when you look at their output, the level of prolificness, and frankly the quality of their work as they've gotten further along in their career, you do notice that the writer you're talking about's approach seems to work a little better for him, because the other writer who believes that you're allowed to suck has done more and more revision as she's gotten further and further in her in her career. And at least in the estimation of many of us who loved her early books, she's lost what made her special as a writer. There's many ways in which she's improved, but there's an essential quality to her voice that's just gotten rubbed out of a lot of her recent books because the editorial hand is too heavy. At least that's my assumption. It could be that her voice changed or that her perfectionism got the better of her and it's just her revisions have gotten too heavy before it even gets to the editor. Now, in terms of the editor, the writer that you're talking about says he submits it to the publisher and then moves on. And that's true. I know this is true because I know his publisher personally. Um, I also know that his publisher does not edit his stories. He has a trusted beta reader who tells him, this has a problem or this is fine. The publisher proofreads it for typos, or gets it proofread for typos, and that's it. Um, earlier on in his career, he tolerated much more editorial interference than he does now. Oddly, now he sells a lot better than he did earlier on in his career, so, you know. Um, that could be because he, um, the editors were shit, or it could be because after several hundred books, he just knows his stuff. Or it could be a little of both. The um, great writers of the pulp era wrote this way because... He didn't have word processors. Um, what happened was they would write out, usually in longhand, if they didn't type first draft. If it was someone who'd like Harlan Ellison who typed his first drafts, they were typed and sent off, and that was it. If it was uh, someone who wrote longhand, what they would do is they would write longhand, and they would type it in. And as they were typing it in, little tweaks and changes would happen. But... Um, that was about it. And then often the editor would come back with revisions, but the revisions were not 
what people think of when they think of developmental editor. A developmental editor is, is an expensive beta reader. What the editor typically did in the pulp era was, and John Campbell was an exception to this, what the editor typically did was say, well, this content is a little bit too racy or political or explicit for our reader base, so we want you to cut that. Um, and this particular character has got a really good commercial appeal, so we want you to give him a little bit more to do. And there would be, there would be little things like that. Um, sometimes they would, they would excise scenes because the, they weren't necessary and it was interrupting the flow. But most of the time, the editorial hand was very, very light. Now, John Campbell was an exception. John Campbell would frequently come up with ideas and farm them out to his best writers in order to make sure that they could keep eating so he could keep a hold of them for when their good original stuff came in. Um, so he was kind of doing this hybrid thing of the Stratemeyer Syndicate and what Hugo Gernsback used to do, except that unlike... Campbell, Hugo Gernsback, also used to steal stories and put his own name on them. But um, Campbell was famous for bouncing stories back or for collaboratively developing stories with writers. Not a lot of editors do that, and of the ones that do, very, very few of them are as good as Campbell was. Campbell was one of these weird ducks that had a fantastic aesthetic and was not a really good writer. Um, he was he was a great ideas man and not a really good writer, and he was also a bit of a weirdo. But, you know, almost everyone who makes an impact on history is a bit of a weirdo. A lot of the writers hated working with him. Even, even though they loved being in his magazine, they hated working with him because his hand was so heavy. And so many of them just jumped ship as soon as they could afford to. Um, for some of them, that was a long time because he paid really, really well for the privilege of annoying his writers that much. But, uh, yeah. So, um, rewriting is a spectrum. It's a whole different toolkit. And what, peop what young writers think of when they envision what revisions are for and how they work is almost always wrong. Because they come to it with a mentality that they've developed in school. Which is... You vomit the basic idea onto the page, and you don't care how bad it is. You give it a shape, and then you sort of kick it into shape like you would with an essay. And that's not a good way to do things with fiction. Um, it's uh, the re One of the reasons that really good screenwriters are so well is this is the way screenplays are developed. It is a very, very hard way to write and to keep things fresh. You're much, much better off working from the guts and the gonads. You pour your soul out onto the page, and you learn to do it in a way that can hold people's attention. Um, unless you're doing really by-the-numbers formulaic stuff... And some really great writers like Ken Follett do by-the-numbers formulaic stuff. Um, if you read Writing the Blockbuster Novel, it's a, a book by Ken Follett's literary agent about the collaborative development process he and Ken Follett had for doing Eye of the Needle and um, 
the man from St. Petersburg, I think, is the one he spotlights in it. But the, the books that sent, that turned Ken Follett from a dime store crime writer into the international thriller seller that he now is. It can be done that way, but it's a very inefficient way of doing, um, of becoming a good writer. And you have to remember, when Follett started doing that, just as when James Patterson started doing things, now, no, Patterson does it a bit different. When Follett started doing that, he'd already done like 15 or 20 dime store books, only a few of them under his own name. He knew what he was doing. And what he was then doing was he was applying this basic toolkit he had down cold to a, um, a much more deliberately commercial style of fiction. He made his bones doing the write it, send it off, write it, send it off, write it, send it off as did most of the great writers in genre in the 20th and 21st centuries. Uh, not that there have been a lot of great writers in the 21st century yet, but hey, it's, you know, we're young yet. Um, the, the one place that this kind of thing kind of works really well is literary fiction. And it only kind of works really well there. And the reason is that literary fiction is so centered on style... Um, it's so highly stylized that sometimes you have to write the story first, and then you go back and stylize it. And so, in that case, it's not a revision in the way that new writers think of it. It's two separate creative passes, one of which is for the story, one of which is for the wrapping. But it's just not the way that new writers think about it. Um... And, and like you said, there's, there's a spectrum, and there are people who do the kinds of revisions that new writers think about. All of the ones I know personally who do that and still manage to write a decent amount and write a pr pretty good quality or better are people who were academics first. Um, and they, were, they moved into fiction writing, at least as, on a commercial level, from doing academic writing, and academic writing works like that. So they already had sort of that set of habits and expectations trained into them. And if you don't already have that trained into you as an academic writer or a lawyer or something like that, you're learning a whole way of doing things that is utterly unnecessary. And it will hold you back, and it can kill your career, because it is so frustrating, and because... As I said at the beginning, if you are not good enough to write it well the first time, you're not good enough to rewrite it into something that is written well. On a revision, the things that you can do that can really add sparkle are things like punch-up. Tweaking the occasional turn of phrase to adjust the timing so that the joke or the reveal or the cliffhanger lands better so that the emotional punch gets just that much better. But you can't, you can't easily introduce those elements or take bad to good. What you can do is take great to amazing, or take good to great. And, um, and that's a very incremental step. Now, I should let you talk here, Kitty, for... You're in the middle of of the editorial pass on my most messed up book ever right now. 
So I'm preaching this gospel of no revisions on the on the eve of doing what's going to be the first heavy revision novel of Mike. <laughs> so, um, you, I, I should give the mic to you and let you uh, let you give me shit for my hypocrisy here. I kind of feel like in in this um, in this particular book, it, it's partly because you decided what the book was really going to be about halfway through it. You. Yeah, I kind of kind of started off writing a different book than I finished writing. Right, right, and so what the major change is is bringing the first half of the book um, consistent with the second half of the book because you did a course correction in the middle, and you have done that before, but. Usually when you do that, you cycle through. Right, and I didn't cycle at all on this book. And, right, you didn't cycle on this book, which is why it's, it's showing. And, and, and really, I, th- I think that's one thing that gets missed out of the no rewriting. Mm. Everybody I know that doesn't rewrite cycles. cycles. Yep. Um, they catch those errors. Well, not those errors, but they bring the new ideas in as... They're writing. They they cycle back. They bring the beginning consistent with the with the end. They realize that that um, this story direction needs this setup, so they go back and add it in. And when you're rewriting, you're write, writing the whole thing and then going back and adding the elements that make the end of the book work. Or whatever else or whatever else yeah and in the old pulp days the pulp writers would cycle by doing that type in pass yeah. Um, yeah the way that we cycle now you can only do with a word processor or if you're dictating and then transcribing right. but so yeah so the 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 basic uh, disjunction is it stylistic or is it a plot direction problem because I haven't read your notes yet it's a plot direction. So that'll be some fairly minor tweakage then. I think so. So it's not it. So even that, which it's going to be heavy revisions by my standard, it's not going to amount to what a new writer would call revisions, right? Or drafts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. You, you, just, no. you don't do drafts. No. 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 All right. Well, thank you very much, Roland, and uh, please push back if you uh, if you have opinions, because your opinions are always fascinating, wonderful, and provocative, and it's a pleasure to have you on. We'll see you tomorrow.